what was going to happen. Uh, we, we just, we've been to the birthing classes and all of this where you kind of, um, you know, you learn a little bit uh, or at least enough to scare you to death. Uh, and you think, okay, we're going to have a human. We have no idea what to do. And so when it came time uh, for uh, Maggie Lee, was our firstborn, for Maggie Lee to be born, we were so ready for it. And my parents were ready. We, at that point, lived about six hours from my parents. Jenny's parents were a couple of hours away. And so we put out the word and said, it's going to happen on this day. We're ready. We're excited. And uh, so as we went to the hospital and we were there waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing was happening, and uh, we just thought this is never going to happen. The doctor was getting impatient. You know, it was just time for Maggie Lee to be born. And uh, she decided it wasn't time for her to be born. She decided she was not going to be born, at least at that particular time. And uh, we would find out later that this was kind of a strain of her personality. First of all, Maggie Lee was extremely independent, but she was also uh, a little bit stubborn. And I don't think she got that from her father. But as, as we were waiting and waiting, finally the doctor said, okay, uh, she's not going to come out on her own. We're going to have to cajole her to get her to come out. And so uh, there were steps that were taken to kind of help her uh, move into the world. But she was not ready at all. But we were definitely ready for her to be born. As I think about that story, and, and, and by the way, Jack, he was ready, and it represents his personality. It didn't take but a second, and Jack, Jack was ready for the world. But uh, as I think about that, and I think about just the, uh, the help that was needed for her to be born, uh, I did think about it as I read our text for this morning, because Jesus, it seems, was ready for Nicodemus to be born into the world. Jesus was ready, and he kept saying, you don't get it, Nicodemus. You don't understand this whole birth thing. For you to enter into the world that God has made for you, this world that is the kingdom of God, you've got to be born into it. You're going to have to be born from above or born again, as we like to say in our language, to be born again into this world. And Nicodemus was just one who was not ready for that. It was not time for him to be born. Some of the things that we know about Nicodemus, first of all, uh, as John describes it, he was a Pharisee. And Jesus would have fit more into the Pharisees' group than into the Sadducees' group. And there are a lot of reasons for that and a lot of reasons that we know that that was true. But Nicodemus was also a part of the Sanhedrin. He was a, uh, an important religious leader in his community. And so it is uh, something that is quite ironic here. And John points that out to us, that he has to go in the middle of the night to go and talk to Jesus. Nicodemus, somewhere along the way, had heard Jesus speak. Maybe it was when Jesus was talking to his disciples or when he had gathered some people around, or maybe it was up on the Sermon on the Mount or somewhere else, but Nicodemus heard what Jesus had to say. And it grabbed his attention like no one else had ever grabbed his attention. And so he was very interested in what Jesus was saying. And also, we have understanding here from John that 
that Nicodemus saw Jesus had some powers. That Jesus was able to heal people. That Jesus had authority over demons. That Jesus was able to do some things like turn water into wine and some other really cool things, right? He knew that there were some things that were, that were accompanying him wherever he would go. And he called these signs. In fact, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, uh, I know that, that you are sent from God. I know that God's doing something with you in this world. Because I see the signs that you're doing. They are showing us. And so he was very interested in Jesus, but he was also very careful. And that's why he goes to Jesus after the sun goes down. When no one else in his group of Pharisees and no one else in the Sanhedrin, no one else would see that Nicodemus is starting to get really interested in this guy, Jesus. So he goes, finds out where he is staying for the night and goes there. And there's some beautiful paintings of this, by the way, uh, as people have tried to take John 3 and portray it on canvas. But to see Jesus sitting on top of the roof, you know, it would have been hot. And so they wouldn't have been inside. They would have gone up on top of the roof. And that's where they would have had this midnight conversation. And can you imagine being there with Jesus uh, out there in the middle of the night? There's a little cool breeze maybe that's blowing and you're on top of the roof and you can see things around you and it's just a wonderful time. Maybe the sun, maybe they had a worm moon like we have. Did you see the worm moon last night? Some of you are going to have to Google that. How many of you ever look at the sky? Okay, good. All right. Well, if you go and look at the sky tonight, you'll see a worm moon that's out there. Maybe there was a worm moon when Jesus and Nicodemus were out on the roof. We don't really have that information, but we do know that it was a wonderful time when they were out there talking. We also know some other things about Nicodemus. He shows up a couple more times in the Gospel of John. He is one of those, we understand, that would have connected with Joseph of Arimathea and had something to do with the burial of Jesus. And so we find out a few other hints and some things about Nicodemus, but we really don't know a whole lot more about him other than he wanted to know more about Jesus. And we find here in John chapter 3, when when Nicodemus begins to talk to Jesus to say, tell me more about you and God and the things that God is doing with you. Jesus answered him, very truly, Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. So this really isn't to Nicodemus an answer to his question. He's wanting to know more about what God is doing right there with him. And Jesus starts talking about being born again. And so it really throws Nicodemus for a loop. The message translation puts it this way. Jesus said, you're absolutely right, Nicodemus. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. And that's what Nicodemus was asking. What are you pointing to? We see that you're giving signs, but what is it that you're pointing to? And he says, Nicodemus, you'll never understand it unless you're born from above. And he talks about water and he talks about spirit. And he says, there's a whole nother way for you to understand what it means to be born. Nicodemus understood one kind of kingdom. 
the earthly kingdom around him. But he was not understanding God's kingdom that was right there in the midst of what was going on as he was there with Jesus. Deborah Cap, in her commentary on this text, mentions this about Nicodemus. At some point, like any pregnant woman who is close to full term, God gets impatient with gestation and wants to get on with it. God wants to push that baby through the birth canal into greater maturity. Aren't you glad I don't have PowerPoint today? (laughs) Into the fullness of life, into a faith lived wholly in the world. That is what Jesus talks about in this text. Jesus thinks it is time Nicodemus came through that spiritual birth canal. God was ready for Nicodemus to be birthed. And Jesus wanted him to understand that he was going to have to do that if he was ever going to understand what God really wanted in the world. Also, she says, to be born from above is to leave the darkness and to come into the light. There is imagery here in our text, and we didn't read it all, but if you go all the way down to verse 21, you'll see the contrast between light and darkness. John likes to do that here. And and, and you can see it also in, in John's letters. But this contrast between light and darkness. In the very first chapter of John, we find that the light was coming into the world, right? And, and people around didn't seem to understand it, or they didn't want to walk into that light, and yet the light was shining for the whole world to see. And of course, John would help us understand later, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. So all of this imagery about light and darkness, and see how Nicodemus goes in the darkness, not in the light. And so again, John wants his readers to understand That if they are going to follow in God's way in the world, they were going to have to move into the light. They were going to have to start following in the light. And like Nicodemus would need to walk in the light, we need to walk in the light as well. This is what God has called us to do. And God wants us to be birthed into this world. What does it look like for us to do that? Well, I think what John wants us to hear is that it means that we are living as an active and visible follower of Jesus in our world. I was hoping just a little bit, not for the band and for everything else that would have to happen, but I was, I was kind of thinking it would be really cool if we just stayed in the darkness in here. If we were never able to get the lights on, we could have at least lit the candles and dispelled the dark a little bit. It would have made a great illustration of how Jesus brings light into our world, but that we're to take that light and to walk into the darkness, to no longer be secret followers of Jesus. We've all been there, haven't we? There have been times in our lives when we have have been secret followers of Jesus. We didn't want our friends to know. We didn't want our neighbors to know. We didn't want someone in our family to know that we were really devoted to Jesus. And Jesus calls us out of that to say, it's time for you to walk in the light. Well, what happens when we move out of the shadows and into the light of day as followers of Jesus? 
I think first and foremost, it affects our relationships. I'm trying to imagine what it was like for Nicodemus to go back to his family after that night. I'm trying to imagine what it would look like for for Nicodemus to go to a meeting of the Sanhedrin or, or to go back and be with the Pharisees as they were starting to plot against Jesus, to say, we've got to do something about him because he is stealing people away from us. And he's creating problems and and Rome is going to come after us if we let Jesus to continue stirring up trouble. And for Nicodemus to begin to think, I'm going to have to make a decision here. I'm either going to have to say, wait a minute, Jesus is speaking truth. We need to listen to him. Or I'm going to have to say, no, I'm not ready to do that because they're going to turn on me. What we see is a progression here and probably didn't happen until after Jesus died on the cross that he began to move more and more out of the darkness and into the light. And it affected his relationships. It had to have affected it. I wish there was a book and maybe we'll find one one day, a book of Nicodemus that tells us about the rest of his life and how it affected his whole world that he moved and lived in. But really, we have a book that is being written about us, don't we? That that there will be people who will say, well, Jesus really affected his life or her life. And this is how it affected their relationships. How has it affected your relationships? Do you treat people in your family or in your friendships or in your work relationships or at school any differently because you've met and talked with Jesus Christ? Well, it also informs our politics. It is getting more and more difficult these days for you to keep your mouth shut about what really ought to matter in our nation, right? Because of the way that our issues are being framed in different ways. And there is a way and a, a, uh, a place for you to be able to say, look, it's not about my political party. Because Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a a Libertarian. Jesus is not a Democratic Socialist. Jesus is not a Capitalist. I mean, you could go right down the line, all these different ways we divide ourselves out sociologically. And we need to make sure that if we're anything, we're in Jesus' party, right? That we vote and we speak out in ways that Jesus would speak out, right? That we look at what Jesus said and we said, this is going to frame how I view the death penalty. This informs the way that I might vote about abortion or how I treat another person or how I treat an enemy or standing up for issues of economic or social justice. It means that we look to Jesus. Jesus, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? It informs our politics. And we need to be willing and eager to speak out. Doesn't matter what party uh, you might be in or how you traditionally vote for you to say, look, if it if it contradicts something that matters to my faith. I'm going to go with my faith and I'm going to speak out about this particular issue. Sometimes we've done this with our interfaith relationship here where we've talked about payday lending to say, yeah, it really does matter. 
The Bible really does have a lot to say about usury or about predatory loan practices. The Bible really does have a lot to say about what life really means in our world. There are all kinds of things that we could speak out about and to say we need to treat one another in the way God wants us to treat one another. But also living in the light affects our surroundings. It improves our surroundings. If our world is worse because we are here as a church, then we've got real problems, don't we? We are not living out in the light of Christ. And sometimes as I look at churches, as I look at places that are around us that, are, that claim the faith of Christianity, I see that we make the world a worse place. We need to be sure that we're improving our surroundings, our neighborhood. Shouldn't our neighborhood look better because we're here? Uh, shouldn't our, our nation be a better place because the church exists? What about with our world? What about with our planet? What are Christians doing to speak about things that relate to our planet? But also, we will be those who attract seekers. I'm pretty sure that Nicodemus started to attract people after he latched on to Jesus. And you think about those who began to follow Jesus and formed that early church and gathered around tables and broke bread together in one another's homes. The, the movement of the church began to take off. And we can read in Acts about thousands and thousands of people who were becoming followers of Jesus Christ. They were attracting people because they were living in the light of Jesus. And the same thing will happen with us when we move out of the shadows and we realize that we have been those who have been called to be born from above. I don't know how many of you uh, liked the movie Avatar when it came out uh, in December, I believe December of 2009. But it was one of those powerful movies that people, uh, it, it just, you know, you would go back and watch the movie over and over again. Whether or not you went to the theater, maybe you watched it whenever it came out on DVD. Do you remember those things, DVDs? Or maybe you still watch it, you can stream it and watch it. But people, it, it really developed a, a kind of a cult following. And uh, someone developed a forum uh, that was a place for people to talk about what they had experienced in watching Avatar. Uh, and you, you probably remember it uh, being about uh, Navi, uh, these, these natives that were um, uh, seven feet tall, peace-loving natives known as the Navi. Uh, human beings from Earth have occupied parts of the planet in search of a rare and valuable mineral, which leads to skirmishes with the Navi and ultimately to war. Caught up in the middle of these machinations are Jake Sully. Uh, this Jake Sully is a Marine who drives an artificially created alien body, which is what we all really want to do, right? And uh, uh, Neytiri, I think is how you say your name, a Navi princess, those two characters fall in love and ultimately join forces to save what? Pandora. Pandora. Uh, and so uh, the movie uh, was released in 2009-ish and, and uh, again, just took on this huge following. And what is surprising is the way that Cameron's, Jane Cameron's fictional world impacted the perception of our own world for many of the film's viewers. And because of that impact, people wanted to talk about 
this movie, and they wanted to share their, their feelings with other people. And so this, this uh, website that was created gave people ways to cope with this and ways to cope with the depression of the dream of Pandora being intangible. One person wrote, When I woke up this morning after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It wasn't the kind of world that they wanted to be in. They would rather be in the world of Avatar, the world of Pandora. Another one wrote, The day after I saw Avatar, I was completely depressed. I looked at my hands and thought, but I wouldn't give if I could do that. Going and seeing it again and again makes me feel good, someone said. I love Pandora, not just a spur-of-the-moment feeling. I legitimately love all of Pandora, and waking up afterwards is extremely hard to do. Responding to several fans' plan to establish a Navi way of living on Earth, a forum moderator named Eloquin said the following, That's the problem. Even if you wanted to strive to be more like the Navi, you would be eaten alive in this world. It really hurts thinking that, you know? It really would take a complete new, fresh start, somewhere uncorrupted. I know, wrote another fan in response to that, but there's no chance of moving somewhere else to a fresh place. Shall we just live with the fact that we can't begin again? Do we really have to deal with that? She writes. Maybe you feel that way about our world. Maybe you long for another world. A world where you could really be who God wants you to be. A world that gets rid of all the limitations that keep you from being born again. And yet Jesus came into our world to give us that. To say, I want to bring a bit of heaven into this world. And if you will come and follow me, you can be born again into a brand new way of existing in this world. I wonder how many of us have been born again. As we come to this time of communion, we recognize that what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is to give us that way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And it is up to us to allow ourselves to be born again into that way. Let us go to God as we prepare for communion and and partaking in what God has given for us in Jesus. Let us go to him in prayer.